Hi, thanks for downloading Pep Talk. If you enjoy today's episode, why not get a free copy of Andy's book or my book by becoming a regular supporter? Visit us at solas-cpc.org and donate just £3 per month. Thanks so much. On with the show. Well, hello and uh, welcome to another edition of Pep Talk, the Persuasive Evangelism Podcast. I'm Andy Bannister uh, from the Solar Centre for Public Christianity up in uh, up in Scotland, and I'm joined as ever by my uh, wonderful, energetic co-host uh, Christy Mayer from the other end of the country in London. Christy, how are you doing today? Doing well, thanks. But you know, post COVID fatigue, I don't really feel that kind of energetic um, effervescence. But um, it's great to be with you anyway, Andy, for another episode. Well, it's exciting because the, te- the temperature is actually in double digits now here in Scotland. So I didn't have to actually chip the, uh, the ice off the duck pond this morning. Not that we have a duck pond anyway. Um, but I, we are joined, uh, as ever, we like to bring you uh, some amazing guests on Pep Talk. And it's a real uh, thrill to be joined uh, today by uh, not just an amazing guest, actually, but an old friend. I've known him for oh, at least 20 years, Paul Woolley. Uh, Paul, welcome to Pep Talk. Andy, thank you. Thank you for your welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to this. Now, you have worn kind of various hats over those 20 or more years that we've known each other. Your current hat, right? You are you are the director. You are the, the man in charge of the, the London... Chief Executive of LICC. Uh, LICC. What is... So what is LICC? We love, we love acronyms. Uh, yes, IMHO. Well, you know, I love acronyms. And, <laughs> uh, but, uh, <laughs> LICC. What is LICC for people who are who are not equated with the arcane world of Christian acronyms. Well, as you know, Andy, um, LICC stands for the London Institute for Contemporary Christianity. It was established uh, in 1982 by John Stott. That means that we are 40 years old this year. Fantastic. And John Stott set LICC up with the intention of helping people integrate the gospel with all of life and have an impact on wider culture. And in various ways, that remains such a core emphasis uh, for us within LICC. So we are based in London, but we work right across the UK. And uh, one of the exciting opportunities of the last couple of years for all the challenges of lockdown, of course, has been the way that we've been able to um, extend our reach and impact. And that's something that we're looking to do more of in the coming years. Paul, that sounds wonderful and just utterly thrilled to meet you. The the work of LICC is just so important. I just love hearing the name John Stott as well. Um, But you mentioned the gospel there. What what is the gospel, Paul? We talk about it quite a bit, but how do you understand it? How do we, what is it? Well, I mean, that is such an interesting question, isn't it, Christy? And um, as you asked the question, I was suddenly taken back to being a student at secondary school when I was about 15 And this was a question that was being asked. There was a a question that it was thought would probably appear in one of our exam papers. And of course, as um, RE students, we were um, being uh, coached to give various answers that, you know, depended where in the New Testament and were you going with Paul's articulation of the gospel? And in fact, did Paul have a particular understanding of the gospel, et cetera, et cetera. But of course, fundamentally, the gospel is the good news. It's the good news about Jesus Christ fundamentally is the good news that God in the life, in the death, in the resurrection, in the ascension of Jesus 
is putting the world to rights, is making all things new. And of course, the implications of that are absolutely mind blowing. I think what's what strikes me as interesting straight away that in that answer is you mentioned the word good news. And of course, many folks are aware that the word gospel, of course, is the, that's effectively what the word gospel means, right? It's the English uh, rendering of the, of the Greek word uh, euangelion. Um, and straight away, I mean, when I first sort of began thinking around that, that's intriguing because sometimes we could think of the message of Christ as being like a formula, you know, a little prayer that if you pray just right, you get your ticket to go to heaven. Um, I have perhaps some of my non-Christian friends, so I think if you ask them, might have in their mind that, you know, Christianity is, is about a religion or some advice or a system of morals. But, the you know, the word that the first Christians chose is a word that means good news. And is that important that that's the word they, they picked rather than some of those other words they, they could have done? What, what changes if we begin thinking about the message of Jesus as, as, as good news in that way? Yeah, I mean, t- too right that it's it's good news and it's important that it's good news. I think what you're touching upon is a problem that we have in our culture, particularly Western cultures, and that is that often the presentation of the gospel that is given and the way that the gospel is embodied appears to be anything but good news. I mean, it, it's not even okay news. It's sort of disappointing news. It's it's worrying news. Um, it's, it's life-diminishing news. But, of course, the reality of the gospel is that it is about life in all of its fullness. It's about a new heaven and a new earth. It's about being fully and truly alive. It's possibly my favourite quote, um, Irenaeus. It's always probably slight misquote of what he originally said, but the glory of a human being is, uh, the glory of God rather, is seen in a human being fully alive. And that is that is what God is about. God wants to see all of his creation flourish and Jesus is at the core of that. And the tragedy often is that when that news gets into our hands and we embody it, we articulate it, we communicate it, the tragedy is that that often can be heard as as bad news. And I, I think sometimes that is because we kind of confuse a couple of things. We We sort of know theologically that in some ways, the gospel is also offensive because it challenges me. It challenges my individualism. It challenges any sense that I might have that I am God and that somehow God is subject to me. Um, so it challenges that profoundly. It's In that way, it's offensive. But of course, part of the problem is often the way we communicate the gospel and some of the problems and barriers people have to accessing the gospel is because bluntly we're just offensive we're 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 not christ-like and the the opportunity the challenge for us is to grow in christ-likeness and as we do people then discover this really is good news this this makes a world of difference and it's positive that's that's such a beautiful picture that you've just presented to us paul just thinking about what does it what does it mean for us to be flourishing as, as human beings, being fully alive in God? And as we do that, it's only then that we're able to share the um, the fullness of the, the gospel. What would you say, um, how do we go about doing that? Like, what would you say to a person who just feels a bit like just crushed by, by COVID, everything else that's going on in the Ukraine right now, and just thinks, gosh, you know, I'm not, I'm not feeling fully alive. Does that mean that I can't 
talk to my friends about this because that's what I feel like. I feel like the gospel isn't good news. And so if they're only be attracted to it when I'm flourishing, then oh, I don't know when that will be. Um, how do we, yeah, what kind of pearls would you give of encouragement to a brother and sister who might be listening to this and just thinking, oh, I really want to be more Christ-like. I really want to flourish. I really want to share this good news. How, how would you help them kind of move on in that? Yeah, I mean, that's such a good question. I think undoubtedly one of the ways that we can be more as Jesus uh, would be if he were us is by being authentic, um, by being unapologetically ourselves and not putting up a pretense and, and, and being who we genuinely are to those that we interact with. Um, and when we do that, that is compelling. So I think authenticity is the place to begin. I think the other thing to say is there is good news for people who are interested and want to share the good news. And the good news is this, that when people hear Christians talking about the good news, when neighbours hear their neighbours talking specifically about Jesus, the research indicates, all the research that I've seen indicates, that number one, our neighbours are more open to Jesus than we think they are. And number two, when, for the most part, those conversations do take place, neighbours have a higher view of their Christian neighbours. They're, they're, they're more um, attracted to them. And I think that's really interesting and is often something that we don't think to be the case. I think often our perception is that our neighbours are like perhaps slightly kind of plighter versions of Richard Dawkins, that essentially they have resolved the God question in their mind, that they have faith in God's non-existence and that is how they live their lives. That is their their rule of faith, if you like. The, the reality is that's just totally not the case the overwhelming majority of people just really haven't thought about it and they need to be given a reason to think differently and one of the challenges but also the immense privilege that we have is to both through the words that we use but fundamentally the people that we are communicate the reality of who God is and what God has done and and is continuing to do in and through the person of Jesus Christ um, so that should give confidence to all of us who completely understandably often feel completely out of our depth and nervous about having these sorts of conversations. Just in case there are any Christians, you know, uh, you know, listening from North Oxford, you know, if you do actually literally have Richard Dawkins as your neighbour, do, do reach out. We would. It could be awkward. It could be. Um, I think that's helpful, Paul. I think. I think the other thing as well. I'm realizing. I think the the times we're living through have changed things a little bit, haven't they? I was um, talking to a friend uh, the other day at church who was like really excited because they've, he and his wife have got a couple of neighbours they've been friends with for years. They've been very, very anti-faith. And then suddenly out of the blue, as Ukraine kicked off, the wife kind of opened up and, and confessed as they were talking one day over the back fence that she is absolutely terrified about nuclear war. And they looked at my friend and went, I guess as Christians, these kind of things don't make you afraid, do they? And suddenly, like this whole thing cracked open. Um, so sometimes I think there's, there's there's also things hiding in sometimes in plain sight, even if we do have people who are style. Um, they wanted to ask about actually sort of chasing that thread down a little bit. The other thing that struck me with news 
I'd love to get your your thoughts on, particularly as you're somebody I know is, you know, previously in other careers too, as you kept an eye on politics and culture and some of the big themes in, in news. I came across a fascinating word the other day, a kind of new word that's been coined in the last couple of years. Have you come across the word doom scrolling? Doom no, scrolling. It's a beautiful. Educating it is. Language. It describes that phenomenon when you're particularly late at night, tired and depressed, sitting on the couch, you get your phone out and you're scrolling through depressing story after depressing story, getting more and more and more low. And, um, and of course, Christian is not immune from it. But it made me think about the fact that I think it's, is it not true that we're all shaped by news? It's not that Christians are people of news and our non-Christian friends aren't. Everybody is shaped by news in some way. And perhaps today that's even more obvious with the big themes out there. So I, I suppose to, to where I'm taking this rambling question is, practically speaking, in the workplace, which I know is what interests you folks at LICC in particular, how do we perhaps, how do Christians perhaps begin that sort of showing that better story, showing there's a different news story to shape you rather than the, the, the doom scrolling of the age that we're living. Because I think I mean a lot of Christians are almost quite like rabbits in the headlights. They just don't know where to begin. And you mentioned things like authenticity and things. Those are brilliant. Where does the rubber hit the road on that? How do you? How does one begin with your colleagues? Perhaps making those first steps towards showing there is a bigger story to be to be talked about. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And that firstly is the starting point to recognise that there are multiple narratives at work in the different spaces and places that we live and work and show up. Um, and that all of us are being informed by these narratives all the time. And and not just one narrative. I mean, I at any one time I'm being informed, mm. shaped, formed, uh, informed by multiple narratives. And um, we have to navigate our way through that. Um, the opportunity, I think, that we have in that space is not only to, to tell the story, but to be the story. So, so w- we live the story. Um, that is what Jesus calls us to as his disciples. We're called to follow him and live our lives as he would live them if he were us. Um, and that involves living this glorious existence that we have in God's kingdom Um, And that's not just a future kind of event. That's a present thing. So we can live the story. I remember um, Rome Williams a number of years ago was talking about scripture and different translations of scripture. And I remember he ended uh, by saying words to the effect of the most significant translation of scripture is the translation of people's lives. And I thought that's absolutely right, that ultimately the majority of people are going to experience scripture through its translation in and through a person's life. That a person will come to an understanding or not of the big story of God and the world, of what it means to be human, of what's wrong with the world and and what's being done to put everything to right. They'll, They'll come to that understanding through the lives of others. Um, and that's amazing. And so our opportunity is to be faithful, authentic disciples of Jesus. That's also a massively radical thing. If we take that really seriously, that not only changes me in every dimension, but it changes the places and spaces I live and work in. It changes my communities. Um, ultimately, it changes the world. It, it really is that significant. So we have an opportunity not only to to talk about these things, but to embody it, to, to, to be it, and to give people the opportunity to experience 
um, something of that. And I guess therein is a challenge that, you know, we have to ask ourselves to what extent are we living in this reality? And to the extent that we're not, we have to draw close to Jesus and follow him and 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 seek to grow in Christ-likeness. That's, that's just such a wonderful challenge and reminder, Paul. I, mean, I can't remember who said it, but something about how we can be the only um, Bibles that people read. Like we are, we are the message in that way. Uh, and I think that's just, that's such an encouragement, but also, um, as you say, such a challenge to kind of draw close to Jesus through that. What would, um, what would you say? Because these sound like these are like the gospel transforms us as individuals. And as, as we kind of enter the kingdom, the kingdom then grows and, and, and spreads. What would you, what would you say to the person who's listening who's thinking, oh, this sounds wonderful. Um, it sounds quite grand. And I'm just not sure what my like daily life um, is able to kind of contribute to that in that um, where would you, do you have any kind of, just thinking very practically now, like any stories of people who have um, engaged with a, a storied kind of way of um, being um embodying um, the gospel themselves and then sharing it with others. Um, why that particular emphasis over over others? Yeah, I, su- I suppose I'd have um, two thoughts on that, Christy. Uh, the first thing to say is that it should encourage us when we read the gospels, when we read the New Testament, that the people that Jesus gathers around himself are the ordinary everyday people. They're not the elites. They're not the academics. They're not the PhDs. They're not those in power. They're ordinary people. And therefore, that at least should be interesting to us. It, it should at least be interesting to us that, that is, they are the sort of people that are most drawn to Jesus. And often, of course, we see how, in fact, for those in positions of power and influence, um, Jesus is a, a profound challenge to them because, of course, Jesus um, invites them to recognize that they're not all they, they're cracked up to be. And, you know, if you're in a position of power and influence, you probably find that harder to swallow than if you're not. So I think we should be encouraged by those who were attracted to Jesus in the first place. Um, and we should also ask a question about the extent to which ordinary every people are attracted say, to the church today, to the extent that that's not true, well, maybe part of the issue there is that we're not sufficiently like Jesus. That's just a thought. The second thing, though, is that I think there are all sorts of examples where um, living the story leads to conversations. So this is just one. So um, uh, my wife has um, a couple of friends. Um, She has more. If she were listening, she would say, I have more (laughs) than a couple of friends. But amongst her friends, she has two. And um, those those two friends happen to know each other. One of these friends, both both don't have a, um, any um, um, active conscious faith in in, in God. Um, they don't have a, a, what they would describe as a, a personal uh, faith. Um, and one of the friends was going through an incredibly difficult period recently, um, really where her whole world was collapsing around her. And um, it was incredibly traumatic. And she was speaking to this other friend who also knows Ruth and just telling her about it. And the other friend, again, not someone who has any belief in God, 
said to her friend, you must tell Ruth, that's the name of my wife, you must tell Ruth, she will pray for you. I find that extraordinary. I find it extraordinary that someone without any belief in God is inviting a friend going through a traumatic experience who also doesn't have belief in God to speak to a friend who does, a friend who's shared her life with her because that other friend knows Ruth will pray for her. And therefore, there is something that is compelling about this story. There is something that is uh, meaningful about this alternative story um, that in this situation Ruth uh, was living. And I think that's how we sort of start to see the gospel being a whole life thing. So, of course, it involves the the, the, the spoken word. Um, and that's that's where, you know, asking for someone to pray for you comes in. But in a way, people got to that point because they became intrigued, curious, attracted by this bigger story that was being lived out. And I think that is that not our dream? Is that not our hope in in our own everyday places on our own front lines that as we live authentically as followers of Jesus, as we simply share our lives with people and bluntly that's what it's about, isn't it? As we love our neighbours as ourselves, these opportunities emerge. Amazing. Paul, we've um, kind of almost reached the uh, the end of the show. So I've got one one kind of last question as we close. We've covered uh, a lot of stuff and you've, you've shared a lot that's, that, that, that's helpful and very practical things in there as well. Obviously, I know this is a space that LICC do a lot in. There's lots of resources and so forth that you have. Is there anything particular, folks who listen to this and thought, I want to dig a bit further, is there anything that you guys do at LICC particularly recommend? We'll obviously put a link to, to look into the show notes but for people who are new to you and the work you do, anything particularly you direct them to among the myriad resources uh, that you and the team have, have produced at Lick? Thank you, Andy. That's generous. Well, if we could have two, that would be really good. You absolutely so, can. You absolutely so, can. So the, the two are, firstly, I'd really encourage people to have a look at a resource that we've developed called the 6Ms. Uh, so the 6Ms. So the 6Ms is a resource that really seeks to provide people with a framework for living life with God in their everyday spaces and places. And and part of that framework does involve talking about who Jesus is, but other aspects of that framework, for example, involve modeling godly character. So if we model godly character or if we if we see our work suddenly as being good, that this is something that God's interested in and, and we're working for God. Um, that, that, that starts to bring some meaning um, to what we're doing and it gives us a way of kind of understanding how we do that as disciples of Jesus. So that's the first thing, the six M's framework Excellent. and that's available on our website and there's a, a bunch of videos that go with that, really case studies of a whole range of people who are involved in different professions. Um, some aren't in paid employment at all, but they're, they're living this stuff out day in, day out. So that's the first thing. The second Excellent. thing is, um, I mentioned at the start that this is our 40th anniversary year. And in that context, and as we have now merged out of lockdown, we are embarking on a 40 cities tour. Um, so we will be in cities right across the UK 
and it would be great to meet people. So if anyone wants to um, turn up at one of those, that would be amazing. Um, the place to go to find out details is our website, um, licc.org.uk forward slash 40 cities for the 40 city stuff. Um, and uh, there are a number of locations that are up there at the moment. There'll be more that follow in due course. But that, again, is an opportunity for people just to get envisioned as well as tooled up a bit for living as disciples of Jesus in everyday life. Brilliant. Paul, that's really helpful. And uh, links to both those resources uh, that you've mentioned we'll put in the show notes. So for folks listening to this who want to follow through, just look at the description in wherever you've got this podcast online or on your app, and you should be able to click right through and, uh, and get all of the info. So it just uh, falls finally to me, to Paul, to say thank you so much uh, for giving up half an hour uh, this afternoon. And uh, always great to talk. And I hope uh, folks listening at home I found this helpful. So once again, thanks for joining us on, on Pep Talk. Andy and Christy, thank you so much. I've loved it. And um, I hope you'll have me back one day. We, uh, we, would, we would love to. And in the meantime, uh, wherever you're listening to this podcast, hope you enjoyed it. Hope you, hope you have a brilliant rest of the day. And uh, Christy and I will catch you uh, again in two weeks' time uh, for another episode with a different guest and another great, helpful conversation about how we can share our faith with our friends, neighbours and colleagues. Thanks for listening. Oh, 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 oh,